As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 46 with A and B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, I have good news and I have bad news. Which one do you want? I already first? know what the bad news is. I don't even usually hit me with it. I already had the guest room ready. You know, he fluffed the pillows. I got a nice down comforter for you. Like, you had your own room and bathroom. You know, your own mounted television on the wall. We had everything. We were going to get the continental breakfast going, mini muffins, uh, you know, syrup, you know, as a little topper, you know. As a little topper. You know, yeah. We were going to have it all for you. Flavor. I, uh, yeah, is that the bad news? Yeah, that's the, that's the bad news. The bad news is I will not be coming to visit you uh, to cover Ohio State's playoff to visit me. But the good news, that's the emphasis. The good to news, visit me, right? Yes, to visit yeah. you, to visit you, and also work. But the the, the good news uh, for the people listening, anyway, is that. Ohio State is in the playoff. Not surprising. We expected it after their Big Ten championship win against Northwestern. We'll talk about that game later on in this episode because it was weird. And I'm wondering your thoughts on some of the things maybe moving forward from that game. But there is more urgent matters. There are more urgent matters at hand. Ohio State is in the playoff. It's playing Clemson. Shocker. After all this shit we went through this season and <laughs> wondering if it was going to end, we end up with Ohio State playing Clemson in the Sugar Bowl on January 1st. Uh, I was hoping to see this rematch. The, the road here has been uh, circuitous, I think. Um, but we're here, January 1, Ohio State-Clemson in the playoffs. How are you feeling about it? It's like, I've, it feels like we were walking out of the tunnel in Phoenix yesterday uh, after Ohio State lost to Clemson last year. And it's just like, 
even that day, I don't know if you think I'm nuts. I just felt like we'll be back uh, talking about this matchup again next year. And it's just like yep. all the twists and turns, no season, season, uh, COVID protocols, Big Ten championship protocols, uh, Ohio State sucks, Ohio State is great, Ohio State doesn't have enough games, Ohio State won't qualify. <laughs> it just leads you instead of a straight path right back to where they are. It's just uh, we took the long route. But you know what? It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, I think I would have liked to see Ohio State play Alabama, too. Um, but anytime you can match up two of the, the three best programs in college football uh, and get a game, especially with the way last year's game went, I, I think it'll be a fun time. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, so so my uh, Ohio State plays Clemson, Alabama plays Notre Dame is, is just about everybody knows at this point. I am surprised, though I guess in hindsight it makes sense, that, that Ohio State-Clemson is in New Orleans where there will be – uh, 3,000 people in attendance. That's the cap down there. I would suspect most, if not all of that, is players, friends, and family. Uh, and the game in Dallas is going to have 19,000 fans there. And I will say, just covering the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis over the weekend, there were like probably 2,000 fans there, more more than what were in Ohio Stadium and, and most Big Ten stadiums this year. And even that felt weird. So the idea that like there's going to be a game with 19,000 people played in attendance is like is nuts to me. It's just going to look so strange given how this year is going. But Ohio State doesn't have to worry about that. Ohio State will be playing in a mostly empty Mercedes-Benz Superdome on January 1st against Clemson. That is such I, a massive uh, stadium, too. Like it's huge. Yeah, that'll yeah. be. It's also freezing cold. It's freezing cold when it's full or when it's full. Like with nobody in there, it's going to be an ice box. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's. Uh... The, the ambiance of it is definitely going to be weird for the people who are in the building. I do think that they've done a good job this year of masking some of that uh, on TV, and you can't really tell because uh, of the tight end shots. But, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a crazy year, and it looks like we're, we're going to get a playoff. So, you know, we made it, Bill. Congratulations. Uh, you did great. Thanks, man. I worked real hard um, by just staying in the office that I'm currently in at the moment uh, and not going anywhere. But I, I, I don't even know if I'm going to go to New Orleans. I think I'm going to go to New Orleans, but I don't know that for sure yet. We'll see. I would like to eat a beignet, get a little Café du Monde uh, get coffee in me. Café that could be a good time. Monde, yeah. It'd be awesome. Café du Monde. Oh, sorry. Shout out to A&M. <laughs> sorry, you're not going to the playoff. Uh, I do wonder about – and I'm going to have a, a story with – our Clemson writer, Grace Rayner, that will be on The Athletic on Monday. We'll have a bunch of stuff. Like We're, we're kind of winging this now. We'll have more in-depth conversation, more in-depth stories about all this in the next two weeks. But I don't know how often Clemson has played in like basically an empty stadium this year. And Ohio State has only played in empty stadiums this year. And I wonder like if that matters at all going into this game. Um, maybe Clemson has, and I'm, and I'm wrong. But I don't like seeing some of their home games. The stadium looks half full. Um, so I don't know. I think playing in an empty stadium was weird, and Ohio State's had to do it all year, and I'm not sure how often Clemson's had to do it. You mean like in terms of like how that's going to have an impact on the game? Yeah, I think it can. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, not like not like in a way that's going to flip the game, but it's it's a weird thing to contend with. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it will have no effect whatsoever. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. I didn't have uh, really any chance to watch the ACC championship. I know that Clemson housed Notre Dame and just like dominated them from start to finish. But I didn't get to watch any of the game. I'm assuming you got to watch much more of it than I did. So, like, taking in both the performances of Ohio State and Clemson on Saturday, how does that make you feel, like, first blush about this matchup going into this game? I uh, I think that this year there are two elite of elite programs. Not programs, teams. And those two teams are Alabama and Clemson. And I know that uh, uh, Ugalele 
threw uh, for a million yards in the Notre Dame game and that people thought that Notre Dame beat them at their best even though they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. And I know that the statistics it were, were hard to, to match, but I just think that there's also a presence and a, an ability to lift a team when you have your whole team ready there. And, and what we saw was what we all thought Notre Dame was the first time they played, um, a, a team that's pretty good or, or really good, but not quite on the same playing field as um, the, the big two or big three. And then now when we, we got to watch it again, it's exactly what you would have thought. It, it's, it reminded me of what I thought the Ohio State-Northwestern game was going to look like. you got a really solid team on the other side, but you just have another one that's that's healthy, talented, and clicking on all cylinders, and just one team is overpowered by the other. So I don't know if uh, people hate me. Uh, I don't think I would have put Notre Dame in the playoff because of the uh, last performance of what we saw. I, I think that when you lose by – 24 or maybe taking the number off if you are not competitive in the game that you're playing you are not a national championship contender in my mind and Ohio State despite the fact that um, some of those came against really overmatched teams that never should have beaten them by a point let alone multiple scores but Ohio State has also gotten a nice glimpse of what it's like to get blown out and have your your season ended because of it so um, I personally think that all the teams that were below the the top three especially the top two there's a wide margin there. I don't know who I would have put in at number four. I think Oklahoma has the best case if it were up to me because Oklahoma was a two-loss team, and I know that no two-loss team has ever made it, but they avenged one of those losses by winning their conference champion and hasn't been blown out by one of the two best teams in college football by 30 this year. So, like, to me, that's more of an attractive resume than somebody who got blown out. But to me, the, the main question here is that how much closer, if we're, if we're doing a teetering chart, Alabama and Clemson at the top, Notre Dame and A&M towards the bottom, and Ohio State somewhere in the middle. Is Ohio State closer to what the top two teams are than the bottom two teams are? I think conventional wisdom would say yes, but Landis, that was a really freaking ugly game, and like I, I don't know, yeah, I don't know what the prevailing thought is. I mean, all of a sudden Eddie George is on their team, and I don't know where that guy was. I've been complaining about how Ohio State doesn't have a, a running threat for the last three months and all of a sudden there's a new singles game rushing leader which is on top one of the craziest things that I've seen um in a long time so but I you know I think that if Ohio State puts it together uh they are in a good game with Clemson the way that they were supposed to be I just don't know what the reason was for Ohio State's uh looking the way that it did was it guys out was it weird game plan was it a poorly coached game uh was it Northwestern's defense being like what is it to you there were there were a lot of things that the thing the thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind around and will for I guess the next few days is like how much of what we saw against Northwestern and I guess Indiana too if you want to lump that game in the two to two toughest opponents Ohio State's played like how much of the struggles in that game are just like who Ohio State is and like they're a flaw team and these are their flaws coming to the forefront or how much of it is just born out of like odd decision making like out of character performance and 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 I think it might be much more of the latter than it is like this team is just isn't good enough and when they get on the field against Clemson we're all going to find that out um I do think Ohio State is probably good enough we haven't seen its best game which is kind of strange like obviously you want to save your best game for when you get on the field in the playoffs or in the national championship but like up until up until this point usually when you get to this point you have like some general idea of like what a team's best game looks like like Clemson probably played its best game against Notre Dame and Alabama probably played its best game against Florida and it played really well against Georgia like Ohio State just hasn't had something similar to that and has looked a little lackluster 
um, sort of along the way and has missed guys and I don't know, like its practice schedule gets gets interrupted and I think all that stuff matters. It doesn't explain some of the decision making that that's happened with with the play calling in particular, um, with the quarterback play. I think is, has been a little odd. So I don't know. I, I I don't I don't pin it all on on any one thing, and and I think these are things that Ohio State can get past and, and figure out in the next two weeks. But I think like a month ago or maybe two months ago before before Ohio State's COVID issues got a little uh, tricky. I think you and I felt pretty good about Ohio State's ability to win a national championship, and I don't know how I feel about that now. Um, I, I like this matchup with Clemson more than I would like a matchup against Alabama for sure. I think Ohio State's best game can beat Clemson. Um, I just don't know if Ohio State's going to get there. Like, I, I, There was a lot, little bit of doubt put in my mind on Saturday, uh, fairly or unfairly, about what Ohio State can become in the next 13 days before it gets on the field with, uh, field, on the field with a team with that kind of talent. First of all, it's fairly. <laughs> You know, I I, th- I think it's fair, and I, as I sit here right now, don't think Ohio State can beat Clemson, and it's not because I don't think they're talented enough. Uh, they're certainly talented enough. I just don't know that they're able to put everything together the way that they're going to need to put it together um, to be ready to play their best game, and I don't know if that means getting Chris Olave back. I, I saw that the Big Ten has reduced its number of games uh, from or days that you have to be out if you get COVID from 21 to 17, which might have an impact of who gets back. It is important to remind everybody that Ohio State was missing more than 20 players in that game. And, of course, once they decided to run the football, like Northwestern had no chance to physically stack up against them. And maybe if they had started doing that earlier, we'd be having a very very different discussion right now. That said, I don't know that I think that they would win that game. You know, I think they. I think that Ohio State is capable of winning a national championship. That hasn't changed, but I don't know that they're there. I don't know that they're playing well. I mean, Ohio State was humming the best way a team could possibly hum last year. They were built. I would say last year's team was better than this year's team. Um, I know that Justin Fields is a better version of himself, and the wide receivers are really good. And all of a sudden, Trey Sermon is uh, going to make it on my Heisman ballot when I vote later today. Uh, but I don't know. All of a sudden. If they can just turn it on like that and, and beat Clemson uh, when they couldn't win last year, when their team was much more balanced, had Chase Young, had Jeff Okuda, uh, had Olave, had Fields, had J.K. Dobbins, and still couldn't do it. Like I don't know how I feel about like where Ohio State is on the tri- on the on the hierarchy of college football. I think it's number one and number one A, Alabama and Clemson, and then Ohio State is three. I think that's unequivocally the case, and that's exactly what we said last year when we recorded this podcast on the indoor field right after they got announced last year. I just don't know. But when they got on the field, it was different, right? Like, I, I thought Ohio State was every bit Clemson's equal. Oh, for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. But now that we are sitting here a year later with all the circumstance that Ohio State lost a ton of talent after last year, like, that's all relevant to this discussion. I don't know how far below 1A and 3 is. Like, where would you put – how far down is that? Like, is Ohio State closer to Notre Dame on its best game or is Ohio State closer to Clemson at its best game? I think it's closer to Clemson because I think there's a gap between Alabama and Clemson. I would not put Alabama and Clemson on the same level. Um, at least, like, I guess I'm talking offensively. Uh, maybe Clemson's defense is a little better than Alabama's, but I don't think Clemson's like played offenses like Florida either. Um, but I think Alabama's the better team. So I would have Alabama one and Clemson two separate, and then Ohio State is three. And I think Ohio State is three is closer to Clemson than it is to Notre Dame. And do you think Ohio State is closer to Clemson than Clemson is to Alabama? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, 
No, probably not. I I think uh, I think Clemson and Alabama are fairly close, though I think there's a gap, and I don't know. I I, I guess there's a lot of recency bias creeping in, but like the way that Clemson performed against a good Notre Dame team, like I I can't in good conscience say that I think Ohio State's like right there. Yeah, but recency bias is good because this game is going to be very recent. (laughs) Like I mean, it's happening in ten days, so or whatever many days it is, and uh, you know there's a lot going on with this. So I, I I think that it's fair to be critical of Ohio State. Now, I know that we'll probably get to the point of the podcast where we try to, you know, bring some context and, and smooth it out a little bit because I do think that there were some good things in that game. And I think that um, if they're full powered, their coaching staff and their team is healthy and they're they're practicing well, that they can beat Clemson. I'm not trying to make it seem like this is some sort of David and Goliath scenario, but I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about how Ohio State is invincible and uh, is one of the best teams in the country and is just going to go in there and finish the job that they didn't finish last year. And I think that they have a much higher uphill battle to win this game this year than they did last year. Touchdown spread makes sense to you? Yeah, I think so. I don't know which side I would take in that scenario. I might just take the points because Ohio State getting seven is like a a dream come true. Uh, But it's also like, you know, is Justin Fields completely healthy with his thumb? Um, are uh, Ohio State's receivers completely intact? Was Ohio State's game plan against Northwestern fractured, or was it just a different team without the second threat at receiver with Olave out? I mean, these are all questions that I have. Um, can Sermon, you know, I thought the most impressive run of Sermon's day maybe was that run in the second quarter, or was it early in the third where he turned a um, – two-yard run hit broke a tackle and made it an eight-yard run like is that the sermon that's going to show up in in new orleans or is the sermon for that only had 300 yards for the entire year before it is master teague healthy um you know we could go down the list of things that um but it's just like weird to me because you're coming off of a game where ohio state the thing that ohio state did the best and does the best almost unbelievably unstoppable was the thing that failed them and it's just like I'm trying to wrap my head around why, because Northwestern's top corner was out for most of the game too, wasn't he? So like, what are we? Yeah, got hurt what early. are we thinking is the reason for that? Because that's really alarming to me. If you're if the thing that you that you do best doesn't work against Northwestern, what the heck do you think is going to happen without when Clemson gets out there? And we haven't even talked about Ohio yeah. State's defense yet. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, if you look at this game, <clears throat> and this is just like first blush looking at this matchup. Like, if you're if you're thinking about Ohio State, what concerns you? It's teams hitting big pass, big plays in the pass game. Clemson is uh, number eight in the country in pass plays of thirty yards or more, and it's defenses that bring a lot of pressure and mix coverages and are exotic and confusing. Uh, and that has given Justin Fields some problems. Now, I will I will say, and I, I, I've said this a lot, and I still think it's true, the best game that Justin Fields has ever played is the game he played last year against Clemson, even though he threw two interceptions. And, and I do think uh, Saturday's performance, I guess notwithstanding, that he's a better quarterback this year than he was last year. What I think Ohio State is falling into, and by that I mostly mean Ryan Day and Justin Fields, is like this obsession with hitting home runs in the past game and this obsession with like being aggressive and aggressive being defined by throwing the ball as much as possible. And I don't know why, and I'm going to write this and I, I hope to ask Ryan day about it later this week. I don't know why aggression has to equate to throwing when 
you could have been defined as aggressive on Saturday by lining up and just smashing Northwestern and running the ball every time. And, like, literally, they could have run for 500 yards against Northwestern if they wanted to. But Ryan Day was, like, hell-bent on throwing the ball. And he said, like, oh, we're, we're going to throw to soften them up, and then we're going to run. And that's how the game played out. But it's like they, they had five guys in the box in the first quarter. Like, don't soften them up. They're soft already. Just run. Yeah. And and they couldn't get they couldn't get past that. And I think there's, there's a – issue right now with ryan day like trying to channel that aggression the right way balance and play calling feeling the rhythm of the game and i think justin field's play is like a byproduct of that because his eyes are downfield he's not looking at tight ends underneath he's not looking at check downs he's getting to him late he's getting sacked when he shouldn't be because his eyes are downfield and he's thinking home run and when you're in that mode without your best receiver who i think chris olave is their best receiver even though garrett wilson's had a great year um i think that's made obviously a little more a little more difficult so I'm not super psyched about the idea of, of the way that Justin Fields has played against Indiana and Northwestern and putting him on the field against Clemson, but I also think he's perfectly capable of figuring it out. Um, we, we saw last year they had they had a good game plan, I thought, against Clemson. They didn't score in the red zone, which sucked, and that was like kind of what flipped the game, I think, for Clemson. But I think it's there. The pieces are there. And the fact that they did run the ball so well against Northwestern is uh, – is a positive like obviously it's a positive but like we, you and i have talked a lot this year about whether or not this running game is good enough is is it good enough is, is it as good as it needs to be for ohio state to win a championship and i was a little dismissive of that idea thinking like oh they can just throw the ball and be fine like clearly that was wrong um but how do you feel now seeing trey sermon run for 331 ohio state run for almost 400 yards that offensive line kind of take over a game like do you think this is a team that could go into the sugar bowl and control the game running the ball Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Trey Sermon has the all-time leading Ohio State single-game rushing record in a game where we are complaining that Ohio State didn't run it enough. Yeah, 29 carries. That is (laughs) (laughs) bonkers. I can't even – it's been more than 24 hours since the game ended, and I still can't figure it out. What the hell was that? He was an animal. It was. I mean, it was. It's. It's not. It's not the best rushing performance I've seen since covering the team because I covered Zeke. But it's the best rushing performance I think I've seen since. What Zeke what left. rushing performance of Zeke would you take over that? Sugar Bowl. I because I, I made a tweet, and I know that I'm prone to hyperbole, but I want to read the tweet to you, and I want you to tell me if you think it's crazy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I gotta find it. So just like vamp for a second. Um, do 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 do. Okay, ready? Found it. I saw every single one of Ezekiel Elliott's games at Ohio State in person, but I don't know that I have seen a running back 
put the Buckeyes on his back the way that Sermon is doing it right now in the past decade? No, I think Zeke against Alabama and Oregon was something a little bit different than this. Yeah, I mean, Zeke is the best running back in Ohio State history, probably. So I'm not trying to take away from his achievements, but I felt like in a game that was dangerously close to Ohio State losing, and honestly, I don't care what anybody says. You might not think that Ohio State was ever in real danger of losing. Northwestern had the ball in the fourth quarter down six points. They could have won the game. You're one coverage breakdown away from losing, potentially. Zeke's 85 yards through the heart of the South is like the most iconic or one of the most iconic plays in Ohio State football history. But the way that Sermon ran it, it was almost like he was running possessed and he was doing it chunk play after chunk play. Like, I think it's one thing to run through a hole and get 85 yards. I'm not saying that all the running backs in the world could have done that. I think Zeke's vision, speed, and ability to, to break away is certainly part of the reason that run happened. But chunk plays, little by little, over the course of an entire second half where you run down the opposition and they can't stop you, I think is incredible. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Zeke was a major element to Ohio State's national championship run. I, I didn't forget it. He run for almost 700 yards in three games. Like, you don't have to tell me. But in a game where somebody broke the single-game rushing record during a time where Ohio State's offensive was laughably bad um, and then turned the game around and then won a Big Ten championship that day, I think that, like, I would stack that performance up with anything that Zeke did. I think he can hold it up. I think it's worth discussing. Uh, Zeke had 246 and four touchdowns in the national championship against yeah, Oregon. That's pretty um, good. Is he that had, good? He had, two, he, had 230, he had 230 and two touchdowns against Alabama. He averaged almost 12 yards a carry. And uh, both Oregon, that, that Oregon and Alabama team, either one of them is like way better yeah, than the no, team that Ohio State just played. Um, but it is like I'm not. That's not to diminish what Trey Sermon did because he absolutely Ohio State was in jeopardy of losing that game because Ryan Day couldn't get out of his own way, and Trey Sermon just said, "Give me the ball. I run for three thirty one. We'll put this thing to bed, and I'll pass Eddie George." It's, it is insane. Yeah. Also, it would have been maybe it would have gotten over the top if he would have scored at the end there to make it twenty nine ten in the cover. Like that's he had to like. Uh, you know, drive his legs a little bit harder at the end there and get some guys paid. But um, no, I thought it was incredible. Do I? But like, the question is, what do you take from that? Do you like think he can do that again? Move, yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think if if you go if you go back and watch like early Oklahoma Trey Sermon stuff like this appears like it wasn't a regular thing. Obviously, otherwise he would have been their starter and never felt the need to transfer. But he had shown this. He has shown this ability in the past, not quite to this extent. But he had like a two hundred yard game at Oklahoma. Like he can do this kind of stuff. Um, the vision. I'm trying to think. Like what was what was more surprising? Like the vision or the physicality? And I think maybe the vision because like it was like he knew where to go every single time. And like part of that's the line. The line blocked its ass off. It was the best game the Lions played all year for sure. Uh, and Northwestern had a light box too, like that. Like it's a little bit of a caveat, I guess, with with the 331 yards. It was like it was five on five, and Ohio State blocked all five guys. But like Trey Sermon was making dudes miss in the second level. The times, a few times he got hit in the backfield, he was he was running forward and, and getting extra yards. Like I don't want to take away from from his night, but I do think we need to consider how they were being defended. Um, I I do think you can carry it forward. Now, Clemson last night, Saturday night, held a very good Notre Dame rushing team to 44 yards on 30 carries. But when they played the first time, 
and Clemson was without three starters, I believe, in that game on defense. Notre Dame ran for 208 yards. So, like, I think you can crack this defense. Ohio State ran the ball well against Clemson last year before J.K. Dobbins got hurt. And I don't think Trey Sermon's J.K. Dobbins, but maybe this line is a little better, at least run blocking, than this than that line was last year by the time they got to that. I don't know. Maybe that's not the case. But I do think maybe this is something they can carry forward, or, or maybe this is like a little bit of a shift in what's been the identity for this offense, which was just like throw, 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 coming off this game where throw, 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 almost got you beat. Maybe they settle a little more into ground and pound, control the game, be a little more calculated when you take your shots and just play a little smarter and try to restrain a little bit a, a bit of that aggression. I think that's the recipe to beat Clemson. I don't I just don't know if they're gonna fall into that. Yeah, I I was more impressed with the physicality. I thought that they were that they were good enough to take what was there. But I thought that Trey Sermon created yardage with his physicality in that game. Uh-huh. And that was something I doubted that either of them were capable of doing, both him and Master Teague. Um, and, you know, I, I I guess you can't teach vision, and that's a natural thing. But it did seem like he was finding things, um, both from a vision standpoint and a physicality standpoint, to get more yardage than he would have, I think, like two weeks ago. So I don't know how that translates when you're playing bigger, faster, stronger athletes uh, against Clemson. But the idea of... My thought process was Ohio State can't run the ball against Clemson no matter what, and it's just like now that there's a chance that they might be able to, it makes me view the game differently. Yeah, uh, just on that note real quickly, I just pulled this up on Pro Football Focus real quick. Uh, Trey Sermon had 196 yards after contact and uh, 16 broken tackles against Northwestern. And like 270-some yards in the second half, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it makes me view the team So it makes you view view it – how? Like in what way? I thought that Ohio State was a one-dimensional team that was just going to throw. I mean, how many times have we tweet this year? Go five wide and play seven on seven with these people, right. and it's just like that wasn't something that I felt like. I thought that was the only game plan, and, and now you're talking about a game where they were unable to throw the ball, and maybe that's because Alave was out. But then they took over, and a running back who I thought was aggressively average now is the single-game rushing leader in the history of Ohio State football. And it's just like that snapped off so quickly. There's a lot of confusion here in 2020. If you would have told me uh, without Trey Sermon, take the ball out of Justin Fields' hands and give it to him, that was like the, the way to go, then I would have told you, like, what the hell are you talking about? That, that's insane. It's insanity. And now it's like that could be the saving grace of Ohio State season? A guy that transferred from Oklahoma who wasn't very good to begin with and now was awesome in a week? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I guess he could like. I guess three thirty one can be a flash in the pan. It's, I guess it's happened before. I don't. I don't think this is. Um, it is funny. Like the Ryan Day after the game said something to the effect of like, "Yeah, you know, through two or three games, we weren't sure what was going on with Trey. We didn't know Trey, and like he was missing holes, and he just wasn't very good." And I was like, "Oh, so you you thought exactly what we all thought of him, but you just couldn't say it at the time." Um, I thought that was an interesting bit of, of honesty. Yeah, I mean, they have eyes. Day, Everybody has eyes. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in a day, Master T got dinged up early, um, was on the sideline without his helmet for the majority of the games. So like, they needed to Trey Sermon to shoulder that load, Trey Sermon to shoulder that load, and he ran 29 times for 331 yards. So I, I don't think the offense suddenly, like, changes form. Like, last year they were, let's, let's run it, let's keep it on the ground, throw – like off of that, but but run to set up the throw. Um, I don't think they're going to suddenly transition to that right now. Although I guess they could if they wanted to. 
Uh, I don't know the right way to attack Clemson, and I will. Like, I did a giant film study on this game last year. I'm going to do it again this year, but I need some time to actually watch Clemson because I haven't I haven't done a, much, a bunch of that yet. Um, so I'm not totally sure on the way to attack Clemson. And if you're listening to this and you have watched a lot of Clemson, reach out to me and tell me what you think because I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, but, like, in a weird way, for as poorly as Justin Fields played and for as bad as the passing game looked against Northwestern, I, in an odd way, feel a little better about Ohio State's offense now that they've shown an ability to run the ball the way they ran the ball against Northwestern. So do you think that the passing situation is just uh, – what, what was that? Do you think it was uh, the way that Northwestern defended Ohio State, uh, you know, putting five in the box and, and daring them to throw? Uh, was that like Northwestern saying, hey, if you can get five or six yards of carry, do that, but you're not going to blow us out by throwing over the top? Is that Olave being yeah. out and, and causing a little bit of uh, – uh, easier ability to focus on Garrett Wilson and you know put Ohio State in a position where they're relying on some younger guys. I mean, what is it in your mind that caused that? Because it's like I didn't think that anybody in college football could stop that team from sitting back and picking them apart that way. That's how Northwestern plays. They, they don't get beat over the top. They make they make you march down the field, and for two and a half quarters, like Ohio State was like unwilling to do that. Um, Justin Fields needs to understand that it's okay to throw the ball six yards down the field or seven yards down the field and not have to throw it 20 or 30 yards down the field on every single drop back. Um, so that's part of it. Part of it is, I think, Noah Olave, that, that one interception where uh, Jamison Williams cut it upfield. Uh, Olave would not have done that, I don't think. That's not a pick if Olave's playing. Um, the interception in the end zone, I think, was getting a little too fixated on Garrett Wilson because Chris Olave wasn't playing. So, like, it's the things we've – the criticisms that have followed Justin Fields his entire career. He locks on to his one target. He doesn't – go through his progressions well enough or quickly enough uh, but there's stuff there for the taking if he if he can grow to the point where he's okay taking the underneath stuff um, I think the offense is fine because throwing the ball seven eight yards a time and running the ball five six yards a time uh, that's a fine way to win a football game you don't have to bomb it out on every I just want to see bombs though that's what I'm here for yeah I mean bombs are fun but I'm a, bombs can also get you I'm, beat. A, I'm a skill position guy uh, yeah so why don't we flip the flip the script here? Uh, what is the over under for Clemson's uh, total output there? Uh, thirty eight points, thirty eight and a half. Was that where you would set the line? Yeah, probably. Like if Ohio State wins this football game, just like initial thoughts. What is the score? If Ohio, last year was twenty nine twenty three, which is not which what, is pretty low. <laughs> either of us would have thought it's yeah. pretty low scoring. Um, I think if Ohio State, I think if Ohio State wins, it looks something a little more like that. If it's a shootout, I don't know. Like if if Clemson's going to come out and just like light up Ohio State's defense and put forty something points on the board, I don't know if Ohio State, based on what I've seen from the from the passing game, I don't know if Ohio State's going to do that. Now, if Chris Olave's back, maybe I feel a little differently. I think Ohio State would like to win something like thirty one twenty four, um, not like what we saw from Alabama and Florida on Saturday night. I, I just don't. I think that kind of game is like inevitable if you get on the field with Alabama because Alabama is not going to be slowed down by anybody. I don't think Clemson's offense is quite as dynamic. Um, but if it does come out and put up 40-something, I think Ohio State might have a hard time keeping up. I don't think that there's any shot in hell that Ohio State's going to keep Clemson to 24 points. <sighs> Do you think Clemson's offense is better or worse than it was last year? I think it's probably more, like similar. I don't know. There's, there's no, no T. Higgins, Higgins and there's no, no Justin Ross. Ross. I get it. They don't give the ball to Travis Etienne for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. If that happens, I would be shocked. No, Ohio State's defense is way worse. Yeah. Too, I, I mean, I. Which is, the, which is the other side of that coin. 24 but. points is how much you expect to hold Maryland to. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> 
I think if Ohio State wants to win that football game, they're going to have to win something like forty-five to thirty-eight or forty-one thirty-eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's that's how that's how all these games are going to go. Yeah. I think it's like all these offenses are pretty explosive, and I think all these defenses have looked vulnerable at times, maybe with the exception of Clemson. Yeah, except like the the Notre Dame game when they're missing three starters. I don't know. I think I think I think Ohio State is going to try to come out and establish the run and control the game a little bit. Maybe try to keep the ball away from Clemson. Or, or more importantly, keep Ohio State's defense off the field. Yeah, I, I guess that that would be the uh, the right thing to do. You know, if, if you're able to do it, it's just funny to me because it's like we have a sample size of what Ohio State's been for two years, and we have a two and a half quarter sample size of Sermon, and like now all of a sudden we're supposed to like rewire our brains on how we expect them to attack Clemson because of that performance. I'm not going there with you. Uh. No, I don't know. Like, re, what do you mean rewire your brain? Like, like I mean, like if the idea is Ohio State wants to get Sermon involved and take over the game on the ground, um, and and be a power, you know, running football team that doesn't have an emphasis on the pass, uh, that's shifted since Urban Meyer left. It used to be that way. That's not the way it is anymore. And I don't know that. I mean, I'm not talking about run QB power. No, no, I'm times. talking about they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna throw the ball. You know what I'm actually talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. When it's like third and medium, run the ball. Don't sit there on third and media, like on third and eight and throw an incompletion, and then it's fourth and eight, and then you have to punt. There were like five times against Northwestern where it's like third and seven, third and eight, and I'm just like, run the ball, make up your mind already that you're going to go for it on fourth down, and run the ball, and just run it all again on fourth and three, instead of trying to throw the ball and show everybody how fancy your passing offense is on third and eight, and then you get sacked, or you throw an yeah. incompletion, and then you're punting. Like, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, they're still going to throw the ball. Um, and I think their play action pass game is really good when they can sync it up. It's it's been a little out of sync the last couple of games, um, but I just don't know. Like what I just explained to me, like in my mind, that is aggression, just dropping back and throwing it down the field and forcing passes in the coverage when there's eight defenders dropped. Like is not aggression. That's like dumb. Play Setting ball. yourself up to go for it on fourth down is a definition of aggression. And I don't know why Ryan Day doesn't do that or at least he didn't do that against Northwestern. yeah you made a funny tweet during the game too and this was like a pet peeve from everybody who's watching it but just because it's second and 10 in your initial first down run didn't get more than a yard doesn't mean you can't run it again on second he abandoned it that the like the first sign of adversity maybe that's the wrong way to put it but like the first, the first sign first that sign Northwestern of, of, could try to stop it or could stop it maybe like how how dare they tackle me in the backfield I guess I'm not going to run it again the rest of this drive like what are we doing yeah no I agree with you you're averaging 12 yards a carry yeah <laughs> we were all watching it and I think it's like <laughs> funny because whenever you're watching a game like that and I don't know if you're like looking at Twitter the way I am during the game but it's so funny because the entire million people, the Ohio State fan base, just steps up and everybody screams in unison, run the ball! <laughs> and it's like everybody's like feeling the same way about it. And it kind of reminded me of like the 2017, uh, or sorry, the 2015 Michigan State game a little bit in, in the sense that they were playing a really good team. That team didn't really scare you on offense. And then it's all of a sudden just like you have the best weapon in, in college football in your backfield. Give them the freaking ball. And maybe the weapon has changed yeah. a little bit, but clearly not. He's the all-time leader in single-game rushing yards in Ohio State football history now. So, I mean, I, the one difference is Zeke averaged two point eight yards carry in he, that game. Yeah, he did, and he also had some Similarly, weird foot infection or something, didn't he? Or, yeah, he was like in the hospital. That yeah, week. it's like the things you find out after a team plays like shit. Yeah, I mean, he had like this major <laughs> bandage, but he seemed to be pretty angry, if I recall correctly, uh, after yeah. that game. But I do recall, I do recall him being a bit miffed. Yeah, um, yeah, but I, I think that the idea that Ohio State can line up on third and eight and get five or that they can rely on um, any semblance of a rushing attack based on how well that offensive line played. It's not just, you know, what, what Sermon did. 
But the fact that I you, you might actually have something there, I think, makes your team more dangerous. Because if you would have asked me five days ago, does Ohio State have a running game again? No. I would have said no. Yeah. And now I, I, I don't – it completely altered my entire viewpoint of the way that Ohio State can attack a defense. Yeah, and I and I don't want I don't want what I've said to come off as like a, I'm saying like take the air out of the ball because as we've discussed many times, I don't think you can win a national championship anymore without being an explosive offense. And and to be explosive, you need to be able to throw the ball down the field. They have a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field. They have great receivers, and I would like, I hope for their sake that Chris Olave can get back for that game. We don't know if he will or not. It's if it's 17 days, I think you would have had the test positive before December 15th to be back in that game. But we don't know. It's kind of funny. Like Ohio State's not saying who tested positive and who didn't. But like if you ask someone, someone a direct question about like Chris Olave testing positive, they answer it. So like Chris Olave is out for COVID reasons, but he might be able to get back for the uh, for the Sugar Bowl. If he's back, I feel I feel better. And and I do think like if they found a reason to be more confident in the run game and maybe not so insistent on throwing the ball down the field all the time to be explosive, I, I think that can help. They still have to throw the ball, and you have to let Justin Fields loose and maybe give him some some easier reads, not make your pass concepts so long developing and, and flood the field into defenses that are dropping seven, eight guys into deep zone coverage. Like, Just make it easier on them because he's really good. Like Justin Fields didn't suddenly become bad, but I think that – He's still a young quarterback. I think he could be put in some better positions by his coach. And now it seems like maybe they're getting a run game to complement that in a way that they haven't had for, for most of the season. So I think it's if you want to take all that in, you can feel a little optimistic about what they might, might be able to do offensively against Clemson. It's just that like what we're hoping to see is not something that Ohio State's ever like put on the field yet this year. So you're, you're banking a lot on a hypothetical that we don't know if Ohio State's capable of reaching. If Ohio State had Olave healthy in that game, could they have just lined up and thrown it around like they usually do and we wouldn't even be talking about this? Like, How much of that do you think is this? Um, with the way that Northwestern was defending, maybe not bombing out all day. No, I don't think so. They were just dropping everybody. Um I think it would have looked a little cleaner. Some of the stuff too was like trick plays. Like I don't like why are we why are they yeah, calling yeah, a double pass? Yeah, no, I know. And that well, the one play action pass to Julian Fleming where like Justin Fields like threw backward, perpendicular. Yeah. yeah, I don't like what the hell. What the what is that? Yeah, Ohio State should never throw an overhand pass backwards against anybody ever because that's what you do when you're outmanned physically, not when you're able. I don't know if that's like I'm going to put this on film so the next team we play has to worry about it. It's like okay, also I guess, that stuff is so guess, stupid. It's just like. <laughs> I don't buy that stuff either. It's like, so you're going to spend an extra 20 minutes or something, like worrying about that one single play. They, they learn how to defend you, and they have defensive elements to to be put into place so that they can be prepared to defend weird things when they happen. But it's like either you line up and beat somebody or you don't, and that's it. It's like all this film stuff, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that they're going to have a better chance of beating Clemson because they threw a backwards pass that fell on the ground and almost caused a turnover. Yeah, I don't think so either. That, or Brett Venables isn't like, oh, man, they ran that play that was a total shit show. <laughs> what are we going to so do? Let's spend, a third, let's spend a few periods on practice on that play because they did it so well the first yeah. time. Uh, no, I, I don't think that matters either. Like, it makes it all the more puzzling. It's like, why are you you're overcoaching? Like, you have better players than they do. Just line up and run yeah. the ball and throw I the ball. I think Pat Fitzgerald overcoached a little too, though. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing on offense yeah. either. They helped Ohio State for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, they had multiple times in – uh, the early in the second half, at least, to put their foot on Ohio State's throat, and they just slipped and fell on themselves multiple times. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. What did you think of? I guess as we move forward here, um, Marcus Hooker didn't play, so Josh Proctor played free safety. Uh, Took a couple banana angles there early in the game on that opening touchdown drive, but I thought after that he played pretty well. What did you think of Josh Proctor at free? Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I don't. I just want somebody to diagnose what happened on that Peyton Ramsey run that went for twenty eight yards and got them inside Ohio State's ten on the opening drive. I mean, he was every so, linebacker ran the wrong way. I know, but it's just like <laughs> it was almost Proctor. like you know when you're playing an NFL video game and like it glitches and your guy runs in the wrong direction. That's what it looked like to me. It, yeah, um, but you know. I don't know. Like we let's let's uh, let's do it this way. Let's take Ohio State's number one weakness and like it's trending in the right direction, right? Like Ohio State's, right? You know, defensive or the secondary is in a better spot now. I mean, I thought it was fine. I don't know. I I, I don't know that that's the position that Proctor plays best. Um, and I don't know if that's what it's going to look like in the playoff. But you know, I thought he played a pretty good game outside of that weird angle thought, that he took. Yeah, I, th- and that I, I, drop I, I thought that was like. If you want to know, yeah, the drop pick six was brutal. Um, if you want to know why Marcus Hooker had been starting and Josh Proctor wasn't playing free safety, like the angles on those tackles might be the answer to that. Not to say that Marcus Hooker's been great at it either, but like maybe they both struggle with it and someone had to play there. Uh, I don't know because Ronnie Hickman wasn't available either. So I, I still don't. We've, we've been wondering about these personnel changes on the back end. It's like we have yet to get an answer on it because Josh Proctor couldn't play against Michigan State. Marcus Hooker and Ronnie Hickman couldn't play against Northwestern. So like when they get on the, when they get on the field against Clemson, who do you think starts at free safety and who do you think comes on at like that nickel role that Josh Proctor was playing? Before? Am I supposed to know the answer to that question? No, I'm just curious what you think based off what we've seen in the last two games. Really, like what we know about these guys? Um, I think I would probably say uh, Hooker and Proctor. Just what it's been for yeah. most of the year. I mean, I don't know that they've had enough. I don't know that they've weird. had enough time to, to do any. I think like when you get down to the bottom of it, Ohio State is at an advantage, right? Because they haven't played enough uh, games as everybody else, and they don't have as much mileage on their body. And I think shit like this is far more of a problem than yeah. how many they game, don't know what they yeah, are. <laughs> they haven't had enough time to work through their personnel issues. I think it's a far bigger issue than how many times somebody got hit in the thigh and like might be sore for an extra two days in a game with the most resilient athletes at the prime of their lives are, are going to do. Um, I don't think that the, I think that Ryan day would have much rather played Maryland and figured out their defensive scheme uh, by experimenting and getting guys in position and, and put something on film than you know, skirting away from Illinois and not getting into to experiment with this stuff. Yeah, I think I think because they have like a relative lack of proof of concept kind of across the board <laughs> with everything that they will revert back to what the the personnel decisions were at the start of the season. And maybe that's making people listening to this pull their hair out right now, but I think it'll be Marcus Hooker starting at free safety assuming he's healthy enough to do so and Josh Proctor playing that position he was playing before. I think they'll play a lot with two safeties because they didn't 
they had two last year and they hadn't repped it enough last year and it killed them. So I think you'll see two safeties on the field a ton against Clemson, if, if not all the time, um, in, in the Sugar Bowl. But when, when they do that, I think it'll be both those guys. And, you know, Ronnie Hickman's time might have to wait until until next year when maybe someone someone has moved yeah. on. Well, it's like you want to put yourself in a position again where you're, where you're playing somebody new at that position against Clemson because that didn't go so hot last year. It did, uh, it did not. And, you know, it just seems to me that you just kind of are what you are and, you know, you put yourself in a position to win a football game the way you can and putting around a, a redshirt freshman or a true freshman into a position to play against Clemson's talent is just kind of a recipe for disaster to me. Now, you know, maybe it works out. Maybe it goes the way that you hope it would. But, you know, Ohio State's not supposed to be in a position where it has to do these sort of things in, on this stage. And it, it's, like, funny to me that they've been in that scenario multiple times now against this team in, in consecutive years. Now, the one thing I was thinking about today, and you tell me if this is crazy, maybe it's not, but I just feel like Ohio State has a lot of players on their team that, like, have a lot to prove after what happened last year. It's like I, I tried to picture, like, Chris Olave with his, his tweet about – with the sad face when he wasn't able to play in the Big Ten championship game and the way that Justin Fields' career almost ended, you know? I mean, he almost left for, after everything that happened. He, his last throw could have been that, that misread. Um, yep. You know, you've got a lot of players on this team who have been wanting and waiting a year to play in this football game. And I just, like, I wonder if Clemson has that same um, psychological edge, and I, I wonder how much you think that that can play into something like this. Because I think – as much as I think that you know leadership and character and all that other stuff that coaches like to talk about in the press conference is a stupid and not an interesting story, I do think that psychological motivation and um, desire can play a key key factor in this. Yeah, it's not going to be hard for Ohio State to find an edge in this game for all for all the reasons you said. And like for the next two weeks, I think all anyone's going to talk about is how Clemson's going to beat Ohio State, Alabama's going to kick Notre Dame's ass, and those two teams are going to play each other in the national championship. And if I was picking right now, that's what I would pick too. Um, I think you have to kind of based on how this year has gone. But I, I think there is enough of that kind of stuff out there. And at, at a certain point, that kind of stuff has to matter. Um, that I, because of that, like I anticipate that we will see whatever Ohio State's best is, and we don't know what that is. Whatever it is, I think it's going to be on the field against Clemson. If I just don't know if it's going to be enough to beat if Clemson. If you say Ohio State's best is going to be on the field against Clemson, I think Ohio State has a legitimate chance to actually win that game. Yeah, so if that's I, what it is. I, I, think, I just don't. I, I, I doubt that yeah. it'll be. I doubt. I have a hard time believing that that's like a certainty. I think that would be remarkable if it happened. I don't think. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a certainty. Um, no, it's not a certainty. But I would. I would feel. I would feel fairly comfortable. I think like expecting Ohio State's best to be out on the field was that Ryan Day's worst coaching performance at Ohio State. Yeah. And what do you take from that in terms of how a coach might be able to adjust and redeem himself? How did he call the game last year, in your opinion? And do you think that's a blip, or is that a cause for concern? I think his hyper-aggression this year is a direct response to what happened against Clemson last year. Uh, the fact that they – I think they kicked two field goals from, like, inside the five or right around the five. Um, he punted twice from the plus side of the 50. Uh, and I and I think that's the kind of thing that sits with him. He even he like made a vague reference to it on one of his radio shows. I think after the Indiana game, maybe before the Indiana game, something to the effect of like uh, we we got caught not being aggressive enough last year, like and, and it bit us. And like I didn't want to, I don't want that to happen again. So I, I think what you've seen this year with 
you know, throwing the ball in fourth and one against Indiana and giving Indiana a chance to get the ball back and go score to tie that game or or some of the decisions he made against Northwestern where they're throwing the ball when it was kind of a puzzling decision. Um, I think our, it's, it's that. It's his response to what happened last year. And I think that's great that I would rather have my coach predisposed to aggression than not because there are plenty of coaches who are cowards. Cowardly Ryan punts. Day's not that. <laughs> Ryan Day is not that, certainly. Um, so... I just think he needs to like have a little more balance with that, like like I said, and I don't know. I, I think he can get there. I think he can get there. I hope he needs to get there for Ohio State's sake. And I don't know, like how how much maybe do you think the way that he called games against Indiana and Northwestern was him knowing that Ohio State was going to have limited opportunities to impress people. So he was like kind of going balls to the wall and trying to blow teams out, and in doing so, put himself in some some tricky situations. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised he didn't try to score at the end of, of Saturday's game for that very reason. You know, I, I don't know if looking good or sexy for the committee is a part of the reason why you you try to do things like that. You know, and you know if that's the way he is calling games, then I would say that it's a pretty big problem. Um, you know, you don't. You're right over there. Yeah, I just uh, had a, a quick yawn. It's it's been last night was uh, a long night for me. So uh, we went to a bar, uh, had a few drinks, then we we walked and, and saw the, the Christmas lights, and you know, it was a nice little Saturday uh, after nice. the Alabama game, and then we got home uh, right in time to to see the ending of that. But you know, it, it's a it's like you have to trust the man because he's lost one game as a head coach, and that one loss <laughs> yeah. was in the playoff to yeah. Clemson when his best player got or one of his best players got ejected for targeting, and there was a crucial fumble that uh, was miscalled that would have changed the entire yeah. game. Like I, and his running back was hurt, and his quarterback yeah. was playing on a yeah. bum knee, and they lost by six. Do you points. fear that Justin Fields is not going to be one hundred percent again, or do you think that's just like a minor? Uh, I have not gone back and like watched the play where he got hurt, um, and I think he only might have thrown the ball one more time after that, and he completed it. So I don't know. Two weeks is is a decent amount of time to get back from a sprained finger. I think as long as it's not broken, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he kept saying X ray on TV. I don't know if that was like a. It's just I guess this is a nice opportunity now that we're almost an hour into this bill to say that it kind of sucks that he's not going to win the Heisman. I have a ballot that I have to fill out. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how to, how I'm going to vote for the Heisman this year. Can I just like give it to Bama? <laughs> like here, just take this trophy I don't know. and then you can give it to who you want. I don't know who I'm going to vote for either. I do like in our Heisman straw poll. It was like we had to get it in like kind of quickly, and I wasn't 100 percent sure what to do. So I put all three Alabama guys on there. I don't think I'm going to end up voting that way. Do you? But if you look at the way they played, like it's it would be justifiable if you wanted to. Do, do you that. vote that way in order to ensure that the fact that they're on the same team doesn't give them a chance to like screw the voting up? Because it's just like I might put no, all three. I just Alab- did it because I thought they were the best three. Yeah, I might put all three Alabama players on my ballot so that all of them are represented in the voting. Because some people are going to vote for Devontae Smith, some people are going to vote for Mac Jones, and some might vote for Najee Harris. And like the fact that you're you're breaking them up on threes is going to screw them, you know. And it's just like who's going to win yeah. the Heisman now? Like is Trevor Lawrence going to win the Heisman because he's fourth place in the voting, but the only player that's not on Bama? Uh, I guess that's not impossible. I don't know if I'd vote for him. Like I actually thought Kyle Trask played pretty well against Alabama, even though they lost. Um, I think he would deserve a look over Trevor Lawrence. Kyle Pitts, I think, deserves a look. I'm going to put him um, at Justin three. Fields, I think, I think he might it. be the. I don't know that anybody. In, I don't think anybody in college football plays their position better than Pitts plays his. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Justin's just not in. Like, I like Justin had a chance, I think, to play his way back into this conversation in a real way if he would have like just ran all over Northwestern and had like five touchdowns or something like that. Um, but he didn't. He had, he had a be- the two best teams they played. He he had poor games or he made poor decisions and he threw five interceptions combined in two games. So he's not going to win it. Um, he's not going to be in the conversation. He's not going to be a finalist. Um, I'm. I don't. I never anticipated that he would win because of the relative lack of games compared to the other people. Um, but it is kind. Of, it is a little surprising that we're at the end of this and like he's just not even part of the conversation. Yeah, you know, and he had a good year. Uh, but what do you have? 114 yards passing yesterday, or you know, or yeah, he had a really good. Actually, like if you, I think he has 15 touchdowns and five interceptions. It's like his numbers aren't all that different than Trevor Lawrence's, at least from touchdowns and interceptions and. If he played more games, obviously his yards would be there. So, like, he had a good year. Um, just it's not what it needs to be, I think. I think, like, Mac Jones has the high, like has the highest passer rating, like, in the history of college football. Like, he has, like, Joe Burrow numbers. Um, he doesn't captivate people like Joe Burrow does, but he has the numbers to back it up. I still think, like, I, like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris to me are better. Does he not captivate people because he was the backup for Tua last year? Like, if he, if he would have just been, like, a – uh, a sophomore who wasn't just the guy who came in for Tua. Do you think that'd be different? Do you think he's like penalized by that? A little bit. I just don't like he's he's a really good passer, but he's not. There's nothing like electric about him. And I think like I guess there's nothing electric about Kyle Trask either. Um, I do think two people kind of view it like Alabama has had like average quarterbacks perform very well in the past. Like I don't think that Mac Jones is like Jake Coker. He's much better than that, but he's also not like yeah, he's not a Tua. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not going to pick him to win. I'm between I'm between Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, I think, to win. But I also don't know who are going to be the other – who's going to be, like, that third guy on my ballot. I don't know yet. It's not going to be Justin Fields, though. I had him third, like, going into this week. But after this week, I can't I – can't Are people voting for Pitts? I don't know. I don't like, – maybe after, after Saturday night, I think so. People will vote for Lawrence, too. Yeah. Yeah, because Dabo was politicking for him, which is. Oh, I went to go try to find the straw poll on the Athletic, and I don't think it's up yet. No, it's usually up oh, on Monday. Monday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be up on the Athletic on Monday. We'll uh, we'll have a bunch more on this game. Like I said, look for a, a breakdown with myself and our Clemson beat writer Grace Rayner. Sort of like first thoughts on this matchup, strengths, weaknesses, storylines, that kind of stuff. That'll be up on Monday. I'll have my big film study at some point. We'll have a, a bunch more stories on, on this game, on the Alabama-Notre Dame game. Uh, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you signed up. Get you two for one. Don't miss the two for one. Get it for the holidays. One for you, one for a friend. That would be nice. Uh, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you that. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple. We'd appreciate that as well. We've not done like a mailbag show in a while, and I know people have a lot of questions about this game so we'll we'll fire that back up at some point i think maybe we'll change up the the frequency of this podcast over the next two weeks too since since they are in the playoff um but we'll get all that figured out and we will talk to you guys later in the week ohio state clemson january 1st sugar bowl catch the fever (laughs) 